the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The writer to the Hebrews says in that 10th chapter, Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. As you know, basketball season is upon us. Even though we're right in the middle of a football season too. And the National Basketball Association and the Players Union, over a decade ago, they had agreed to a rule that players needed to be 19 years old and also to be one year removed from high school before they were eligible for the NBA draft. And Article 10 of that collective bargaining agreement made in 2006 really contains the core words that have since come to be known as the one-and-done rule. It refers to a player who graduates from high school, plays one year of college ball, and then heads to the NBA so that they can make money instead of making a degree. And over the first 10 years of this rule, you can't see all the schools there, but the top two. Number two, Duke. On average, one player will go to the NBA after their freshman year. Kentucky's on top. There seem to be an average of two each year. And the rule is almost certainly going to be revised, perhaps in the near future, Because both coaches in the NBA and also in college, they don't like it. And players don't like it either. Many older NBA players say that these 19-year-old youngins, they're not ready for the the showtime and the the professional level of NBA. And most 19-year-olds, they are not Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. But the teenage graduates from high school, they don't like the role either. They say it's too restrictive. If they can come out of high school and get a job in the NBA, they say, why can't they play? Well, whatever the outcome of that rule is going to be in the future, the expression one and done has gone from something like that to our much greater culture. Today, the expression seems to be used in a variety of contexts, like disposable products, diapers, yeah, They're one and done, aren't they? Put one on, take one off, done. Or hopefully you're done. How about paper plates? You fill up your plate with potato salad or baked beans and chips, and then you eat and you you toss that plate, and it goes into a large 50-gallon container that probably has a plastic one-and-done liner in there too. A married couple, they could be one-and-done. Okay, now I'm talking about children. Yeah, To have one child and then maybe not have another. But even in the United States Army, a person could be one and done. 
That is, they will sign up for an enlistment period, and then they will decline to renew for another time. But then there's Jesus. The Bible says in his dual role of high priest and sacrifice, he was one and done. He acted as the priest of that sacrifice and was done. He offered a sacrifice once, himself, and was done. Typically, the temple priests, they weren't of that nature. They were always acting as priests and always offering sacrifices for sins, including their own sins. So Jesus' one and done priesthood, that was special. It was an unusual arrangement because the priests in Judaism, they go all the way back to Aaron and to the Levites, and they established that priesthood And they offered sacrifices of sheep and bulls and lambs and goats. And they did this many times. It started off in our text saying, And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take sins away. But no priest has ever offered himself as a sacrifice. It would be pointless because the sacrifice has to be without blemish. And no human being has ever been without some blemish. No human, priest or otherwise, has been perfect. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus was qualified. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was spotless and blameless. His one and done priesthood and his one and done being our Savior, occurred. And the writer says in verse 12, it was a single sacrifice that he made. Jesus came to this earth and was born once and was done. Jesus died once and was done. He rose again once and was done. Jesus lives and reigns, not done. Not done, that's because he does that forever. The writer uses a vivid imagery here to really illustrate his point. And it might seem odd to us today because we're so far removed from that sacrificial system they had. But to the writer's audience, it wasn't odd at all. He wrote that the bull on the altar, that's Jesus. The priest entering the most holy place is Jesus. The blood that was sacrificed on that altar is Jesus' own blood. And that altar, we know, became the cross at Calvary. And since Jesus has offered this one-and-done sacrifice, and since that results in the forgiveness of our sins, there's no need for any repetitive, useless sacrifices. The writer goes on later in this chapter here, And he cites the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Well, why not? Why isn't he going to remember them? The answer is in the next verse. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So how do we respond to that? Well, the biblical writer he now leaves the rituals that are going on and the theological types of foundations. And he begins to build a practical structure in which we can live. 
And so in verse 19, the very next verse, he says, therefore. In other words, that word therefore means that all that has been said before here is really defining. It's being the foundation of what's next. He's saying in construction terms, the footings, they've been poured. The stones, they've been laid. The foundation has been set. Jesus is our one and done Savior. And so now he says, let's get practical. And so he goes on to say, let's first hold fast to our faith. Our salvation is priceless. It cost Jesus his own life. So let's hold fast to our faith in Christ without wavering at all. Sometimes we take an interest in other religious traditions. And when we look across that religious fence to these other religions, we might see some things that we like. We know that it's not inherently wrong for us to be respectful of other people and their faiths. Justin Mark, an early church father, he was born just over a hundred years after Jesus was born. He even said that we can learn a lot from the writings of pagans. But there's something different about being Christians. We believe alone that Jesus suffered and that he died for our sins. So let's be clear who we are and also who we are not. And next, let's remember that because Jesus is a one-and-done Savior, and that he's now entered the most holy place, heaven itself, with his Father. We know that we can approach God without any of the benefits of an earthly, mortal, imperfect priest. God is approachable, and we aren't going to be struck dead if we are so bold to be in the presence of God as we speak to him in prayer and confession. And as we hear from him, his words that he shares with us through his written word. We should also be ourselves living sacrifices. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, and we should offer sacrificially as well. The Apostle Paul, he uses that language in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And in some services, that language is also used. For example, in the Methodist church, as they're preparing for their communion, they will say, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice, in union with Christ's offering for us, in which we proclaim the mystery of our faith. The writer to the Hebrews, he also believes that the foundation of Jesus' one-and-done ministry should help us inspire other people to do those loving things. He says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And when we usually think of the word provoke, we think of it in a negative way. One dictionary defines the word this way. To stir up, to arouse, and call forth feelings and desires and activities. To incite and to stimulate to action. To give rise, to induce, or bring about. 
And if you consider a thesaurus, another word for one who provokes would include ringleader, meddler, mischief maker, agitator, and rabble rouser. Now those aren't very Christian words, are they? But to what end are Christians to provoke? The writer to the Hebrews says, to love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? By regularly meeting together and by encouraging one another. So we know that one reason that we come to church to worship, to be here with each other, is to provoke one another in the name of Christ. Now, we can provoke each other to do good works and to commit acts of love and kindness because we are encouraging one another. That's when we do it. The writer says something similar earlier in his letter to them, back in the third chapter. He says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Pretty neat words, isn't it? Because it's always today as you're living. It is. So why don't we encourage each other more often? Is it because we don't have enough time? Is it because we say, well, that's not part of my nature? Is it because we're so emotionally fragile that we can hardly keep ourselves pumped up, let alone try to help someone else? Well, often the act of encouragement, it often results when we give it to others in a spiritual growth for ourselves. We're built up in that way, too. Encouraging someone is not hard. Stacy Wiebe has a great article about how to do that. And some of her suggestions include learning someone's love languages. And that is special ways in which a person can feel most valued. In his book, Gary Chapman, has a book called The Five Love Languages. And he explains that everyone's emotional needs are not met in the same way. And that's important to speak to others in their love languages. He says the five love languages are words of affirmation. They could be quality time. They could be receiving gifts or acts of kindness. And they could be physical touch. We be... And her article says that we might also make a celebration of a more regular part of our relationships. Celebrate each other's victories, whether they're large or small. Perhaps it's writing them a note. Or maybe having coffee together. It might be a special meal. A congratulatory phone call and perhaps just even a high five. There are so many ways in which we might encourage one another. But let's not forget the reason to do this. We don't encourage another person just to make them feel better. And we don't do it to make ourselves feel better either. We do it because we're trying to provoke them. To provoke them in the name of Christ, to do those loving acts and sharing of words. And we do that... And as a result, if that keeps happening, soon the whole community of God's people are blessed and they're praising God for it. This sort of loving community is really possible because of a one and done Savior. 
His selfless act of sacrificial love, that's the basis for our loving action to others. But this lifestyle, that loving sacrifice that we are to do, it's not a one-and-done situation. We just can't say, well, I did my part, and I'm going to scratch this off of my list. Jesus was one and done. But we are not one and done. We're a community. We're never done. And we know that we keep loving and giving until Jesus comes again. Or when we go to Jesus, to that most holy place. We are called to be a blessing to others. So, whose life are you blessing with encouragement today? Or can in the near future? In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.